Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Amen. You'll see on the back of the service sheet that uh, I've given you the parallel passage in Colossians. That's for your interest. Uh, Later, Paul says very much the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we pray that tonight with these few verses we will understand the relevance of this teaching for Christians in the workplace within the context of this church family. Help us to uh, listen well, to have in our minds those in the church family for whom these situations are pressing or difficult in different ways. And as a whole church family, we pray for those who are in the working world that they would witness to Christ in appropriate ways through that. Help us, Lord, help me not to say things that are unhelpful, things that are naive, things that just bounce off the ground as uh, irrelevant. Help us to all sit under the authority and the instruction of your words and the stuff that you want to say to us. For we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, the section we complete tonight in Ephesians is a section that runs from chapter 5, verse 21, through to chapter 6, verse 9. And it is a section that is focused on three very normal areas of life, marriage, family, and work. Marriage, family, and work. And in each of these areas, there are key relationships in marriage, the relationship between a wife and a husband, in the family between children and parents with a spotlight on fathers, and at work, the relationship between workers and the boss. And in each of these key relationships, here in this section in Ephesians, one is called to submit to the other. In marriage, wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. In the family, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. At work, workers are to obey their bosses as they would Christ. Godly submission matched by godly leadership. In marriage, husbands are not to rule but to love their wives as Christ loves the church. In the families, fathers are not to rule. They are not to provoke their children to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. At work, bosses are not to rule, but to treat their workers justly and fairly, remembering that we all live in submission to God. This is how Christians are to live. 
This is the outworking of the calling to which we have been called. This is the outworking of being filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit when you sing. You're filled with the Spirit when you sleep. You're filled with the Spirit when you speak. You're filled with the Spirit in marriage, in your family, and on Monday morning. This is how we are to live in these realms. Why? One, in obedience to God. Two, out of the desire of a transformed mind and heart that wants to, and increasingly so, live like this. And thirdly, we live like this, convicted that as Christians, that as a living community of believers in a local church, the one that we call home chammers, we are called as a church to reveal God's wisdom, His intentions, His best way to live in a world that has rejected God's way. And living in God's way means living distinctively and attractively, pointing people to Jesus who enables us to live like this. And living distinctively as Christians and as a church in the areas of marriage, family, and work is an ever-sharpening reality for Christians. We must not give in to the pressure to conform to the patterns of the world. We must not move our line of distinctiveness to match the drift of the world's line. We must not live double lives, there are no areas of life that are off-limits to the transforming power of Jesus by His Spirit. And don't hear that ever as a rebuke. Hear it as a friend. You need not go to work, and some of you go to work tomorrow in very difficult situations. You need not go to work for a minute not as a Christian. Jesus is with you by His Spirit every moment. He is your friend. He is your friend in the hardest work situations. Now, living distinctively as a Christian in the workplace is increasingly difficult, which is why we need to study what the Bible teaches in the context of a local church where we can encourage and support one another. And let me say as well that we have a, a staff team in the church here as well. So this is applying to us as much as it's applying to your uh, situation. And so on with our subject tonight, work. Before we get stuck into verses 5 to 9, I want to make a pastoral comment, you see there, and an interpretative comment. Firstly, a pastoral comment. Work, I wish we had time, but we don't to say this. Work is good. Work is created by God. But work, like every area of life, is affected by human sin, deeply so. And therefore, many of us will listen to the Bible's teaching on this area in the context of personal experience of work that is not good, but difficult, destructive, anything but good. And as I said at the beginning of the talks on marriage and family life, I'm aware of how many of you face difficult situations, have done, and for some now at work. And I hope you know that 
awareness is expressed in real care and in prayer. Work is another area of the Christian life where there are real benefits to be found from being in a small group of Christians or with some other Christians who can be honest, supportive, and pray for you. And I want to encourage you again to have these real conversations in your small groups or with another Christian. As a result of listening to this sermon, if there are people in the church family you know are experiencing difficulties or pressures at work, or you just think they are, or you're not sure, speak with them, speak truthfully and lovingly, encourage them in the Lord, pray with them, and my hunch is that if we take that encouragement seriously, there will be lots of conversations, because there are lots and lots of people who are facing pressure at work. Now, in preparing the sermon, I asked a number of people what particular challenges they face at work and as Christians in the workplace. There was consistency in their answers. One, they all said this, those we asked. One of the big pressures is being asked or expected to do more and more. People doing more than one job. What do you do as a Christian? Number two, working for a boss or management structure that is unreasonable and unfair. What do you do as a Christian? Number three, working as a boss with younger colleagues who will not respect and accept your leadership and who show little desire to learn from your experience. Number four, conflict or difficulties with working colleagues. Two more, the pressure of responsibility and leadership, and that as a Christian, you seem more, not less, affected by that responsibility than people who aren't Christians. And the pressure of working as a Christian in a culture that incentivizes and rewards materially or financially. For some in the church family, the pressure of having far too much money feeling increasingly under pressure as a Christian to conform to the secular, politically correct agenda, particularly in the vocational professions like teaching and medicine. It's what you're saying. Struggling to find any meaningful opportunities for evangelism. These are what you said. Thank you. Let me add one. No one said this. It's just my hunch. The lack, full stop, of teaching in churches on this area that dominates most of our lives, or the lack of articulate, applied teaching in this area, that is something we need to address or redress. It has struck me just how much interest, engagement, conversations, emails, dialogue, these sermons on marriage, family, and I expect on work have generated. These basic, basic structures that are disintegrating or being disintegrated in our culture to our culture's ill and the call to us as Christians to shine like light in these areas in our time. Now, second, an interpretative comment. Paul is addressing bond servants and masters. Just read the beginning. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling you may have a translation which has slave instead of bond servant. What is the difference 
between a slave and a bond servant. Having read around this, I don't think there is an essential difference. The term bond servant, however, may be a better way of expressing with less negative connotations for us what the role was in the ancient world for many. Some bond servants were slaves of the state, treated unjustly and harshly. Many, however, lived as part of households. And while the property of their masters, they were often in a close working relationship. Many were paid. Numbers of bond servants were very large. At the time Jesus lived, a third of the Roman population were bond servants. And a question that is sometimes asked of these verses in Ephesians, why does Paul not condemn slavery here? Two answers to that. One, across the whole of the New Testament, including in Paul's writings, he condemns injustice and inhumanity. He does. Secondly, Paul's agenda in writing to the church communities in Ephesus here was not to take on the social institutions and ways of life of his day. That is not the church's agenda. It may be a consequence of what their agenda is, and their agenda should be and is to encourage and help Christians to live out their faith within these structures. And almost certainly there would be bond servants and their masters in the church together in Ephesus. And Paul commends how they are to live as Christians. Now, how are we to get tonight from bond servants or slaves in the ancient world to masters, uh, to workers and bosses in our context? It's not a straight line of application. It's more of a dotted line of application. But I've settled a fair line of application. And that's certainly the view of almost all of the Bible commentators and preachers on these verses. I'm not going to unpack the link. I'm very happy, though, to speak with any of you to make that link afterwards. Let's just plunge in now to verses 5 to 8, and I've titled these verses simply, Workers. Workers get four verses, bosses just get one. Why is that? I don't know. For every four workers, there's one boss, maybe. Might just be practical common sense. Let's read again verses 5 through 8. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Lots of us who work, most of us who work are workers. We work for someone, for a boss. In most instances, our boss will not be a Christian. They may be a good boss, someone who merits respect, they may not be. And Paul gives three principles as to how Christians should behave with respect to their bosses. Firstly, to obey the instructions you are given by your bosses. And just think of this in your work situation, the real world of work. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. We are to obey our earthly masters, our bosses, 
we are to do what they say, we are to take direction and instruction from them, not because we have to, because we want to as Christians. Now, that might seem obvious, but children in our culture no longer want to or are willing to obey their parents. And our culture is suggesting to children that they do not need to. Marriages are becoming contracts, not complementary lifetime covenants. And it's not to be taken for granted that people go to work tomorrow in this city wanting to obey their bosses because they are their bosses. Why should I? Why should I listen to him or her? Now, are there conditions to our obedience as Christians? Yes, there are. Biblically, we should not obey our bosses if what they ask us to do is immoral or illegal. We shouldn't do it. For example, someone working in financial services being asked to do something that goes against the rules of a regulatory authority. You shouldn't do it. You can't do it. You need to say no. Or a Christian doctor being asked to do something the Bible would regard as immoral. Or Christians being asked to promote a lifestyle that is immoral. Now, I'm aware that these issues, as I read them out, become increasingly complex. Illegality is clear. Immorality, less clear. Biblically, illegality, immorality, equally clear. Equally clear. But it's very difficult in the real world of work. In such instances, we should not obey our bosses. And there are occasions, too, when we are treated by a boss or employer illegally or immorally, and as Christians, we need to seek the protection of the law. It's absolutely appropriate to do that, and as Christians, we shouldn't feel that we can't. The other condition to our obedience is when we are told to suppress the gospel. A Christian cannot agree to be silenced from speaking about Jesus. These are the conditions to our obedience. Now, that might sound straight. All I'm doing is quoting to you from the Bible. Now, it might sound straight, but the Bible is straight. And we need to accept that there may be consequences of our disobedience. We may be sidelined. We may even lose our job. That's clear in the Bible. Now, let me immediately set that alongside how, as Christians, we are to say no if we need to say no. The best example I can think of in the Bible is Daniel. 
who is gracious, tactful, polite. John Lennox, in his commentary, calls him savvy. The key verse in Daniel chapter 1 is Daniel 1 verse 8, but Daniel resolved, that's a strong word, he put it on his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's food or wine that he drank. That's a kind of strong heart decision. How did he go about it? Second half of verse 8, therefore he asked Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, for permission not to defile himself. The picture is of Daniel politely, graciously saying to Ashpenaz, his boss, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I can't do it. That's a better line than I won't do it. I can't do it. The next, again, verse is interesting in Daniel. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God is behind him listening to Daniel's request sympathetically. But that respect must have come from the kind of person Daniel was, the way he worked. You may for years obey your boss, do your job well. For that one time when you say no, and your boss respects you because what they have witnessed is a life of integrity, good work, and dutiful service. There are conditions to our obedience, and there will be people in this room who over the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years will have to say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And when you say that, if there are years of integrity behind you, pray that your boss will say to you, why? What's the reason? Why does it matter to you so much? But beyond that stuff, we are to obey our bosses. We are to go to work with a spirit of obedience in our hearts. Yes, when they are unfair. And we're not talking about illegality or immorality, just basic unfairness. Yes, we are to obey them. Yes, when they are unreasonable. Why are we to obey them? Why are you to work like this? You are to do so, second principle, because you are serving the Lord, not people. Uh, now, this is a, a really important thing to get your head around. It's wonderfully liberating. Let's look carefully at what Paul is uh, saying. You have an earthly master, yes, an earthly boss. You have a heavenly master, yes, a heavenly boss, Jesus Christ. It's good to think of Jesus like that. He's not our mate. He's our master. Here's how it works. You go to boss. You go to work and you have two masters or bosses. You have an earthly master or boss. Picture him or her in your mind now. You go to work and you have to obey him or her. And you have a heavenly master or boss, Jesus. Picture him in your mind now. Picture them both as you go to work tomorrow. Do your job, obey and serve your earthly master as if you were obeying and serving your heavenly master, Jesus. That's what it says. Very powerful, very liberating. Obeying your earthly master, obeying Jesus. 
They are woven together in these verses. Just look with me again. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. Why? As you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Notice there the warning against obeying our boss to be noticed, to get on, to advance our career. That may well happen. You might be seen, but you're not setting out to be seen. Your boss might be pleased with you, but you're not a people pleaser. Your motivation is obeying Jesus because what you want to be seen for in the end is someone who is committed to serving Jesus. So go to work to serve Jesus. And I can see in some of your faces how hard that is. Let me come at it just a different way. Picture Jesus in your mind. It's not wrong for us to picture him, the person of Christ who lives in you. Think of him with you at work. Think of him as the one that you are obeying instructions to and for. Think of that. Go to work to serve him. Just let me come at it a third way in case you misunderstood what I'm saying. It's not having Jesus at your back saying, come on, serve, serve, serve. It's having Jesus in front of you. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. Here's from John Stott on Ephesians. Our great need, he writes, is the clear-sightedness to see Jesus Christ and to set him before us every minute of every day. It is possible for teachers to educate children for doctors to treat patients and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Now, that is not a kind of preacher line from someone who has no idea. When I meet with you and you are struggling in your work situations, what gets you through that? is the person who gets you through everything in life, the Lord Jesus. He is not inarticulate at your place of work. He is not absent from your place of work. He stands there beside your boss. And when you experience injustice in the realm of non-illegality or anything, when you experience injustice, you look into the eyes of a man who experienced injustice. And you take it, you live it with the character and demeanor of Christ. And then third principle, the Lord will reward us. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And that is not material reward or growth. It is eternal reward in glory. What is the reward for us now in earth? Steadiness, security. You take to work as a Christian, eternal security. You take to work as a Christian, a perspective on life. 
You take to work as a Christian, freedom from materialism. You take to work as a Christian, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in you, stopping you fall in love with anything other than Him. Now let's think a bit about bosses. Lots of you are bosses. People often ask me, what's it like to lead chambers? I always say it's easy because it's full of bosses. I think it probably is. Lots of you have people working for you. Some of you have a great deal of responsibility in your work. Some of you have significant leadership. Some of you have been given leadership in an age when people do not respond or respect leadership. How ironic is that? How are you to lead as a Christian boss? Masters, do the same to them, verse 9, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. That phrase, do the same to them, implies that those who work for you do so in a way that mirrors verses 6 to 9. That may well not be the case. Indeed, it is likely not to be the case if you have a number of people working for you. What do you do as a Christian boss in such circumstances? There are times, circumstances, when you should and would intervene. As a Christian, should you make someone redundant if you are in a senior position or discipline them at work? Yes, if someone is not doing their job properly. I don't think that's controversial. It's just normal and real. In situations where the business requires cost-cutting or rationalization or reorganization, you may be in a senior position and need to make difficult decisions. It would be naive or unhelpful, and I think unbiblical to say that is wrong. What is important is that if you find yourself in such a situation as a Christian, it's how you go about it, the way you deal with people, the way you make decisions, the way you implement decisions. Isn't it striking that in these verses there's a reference, do not show partiality? How common it is in the workplace that people are shown partiality. Not if you're in charge. I've tried to summarize verse 9 as follows. You'll see it on the sheet. Uh, it's difficult quite to summarize it. Treat those who work for you justly and fairly, remembering that we all live in submission to God. And we could add to that submission to God who is just and fair. Treat people justly and fairly and impartially. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking you are better than them. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking you are better than them if you are intellectually more able than them, as you may well be. If you got better grades at university and got a better job than them, which may well be the case, don't ever think you are better than them because you earn ten times more money than them. You are not. You are on this earth for threescore years and ten, or less or more, and you will leave this earth with nothing in your pocket. Nothing. 
by the impact the person of Jesus living in you made on people and the testimony that comes from your lips. Or you might say, I'd love to get out of the world of work and do what I do. I have the best job in the world. I think. And it is easier. It is easier. It's hard out there. It's tough. It's hard. It's difficult. But you are the only Christian they will meet and see and experience and hear from. Treat people justly, fairly, impartially. Don't ever fall into the trap of thinking you are better than them. You may have more authority, you may have more money, but all of us will stand before the same Jesus on Judgment Day, shorn of our earthly status, judged rather for our Christian faithfulness. Practically, what does it look like? Encourage those who work for you. Encourage them. Encourage those under you. Thank them for the work they do. Speak to them, never down to them. Listen to them. Lead by example. Lead by example, but never guilt trip them in doing so. Care for them when things are hard. Treat them as God treats you, with justice and fairness. Even when they do not reciprocate in any way, Now, some closing comments. God wants Christians to be Christians at work. I had the opportunity to change jobs from being a university lecturer to being a Christian minister. I will never forget the person, I told you this before, some of you, in the room next to me, in the university management school, when I told them I was leaving to become a minister, I never knew you were a Christian. Now, God gave me the opportunity to have a conversation with her. But I always regret that. And we're talking seven years of work. That's not no time, is it? And we had lunch together as a staff team every day. There is no secular and sacred divide in the Christian life. People need to know you are a Christian at work. One step forward in this bit of Ephesians might simply be to let the cat out of the bag and to say, I am a Christian. And it's simple when tomorrow somebody says to you, what did you do at the weekend? All you need to say is, I went to church. Or I went to church and we were talking and thinking about work. What were you talking and thinking about? that I am to obey you or that I am to treat you justly and fairly. I'd love to have that on an email tomorrow night from one of you. It's quite possible, isn't it? It's not like contrived. God wants Christians to be Christians at work because you tell them and because of the way you work, whether as a worker or as a boss, he wants Daniels at work. He doesn't want 
people who shout all the time and, and who are difficult and belligerent. He wants savvy and wisdom and tactfulness and grace and politeness. Secondly, a Christian should not, I would be even stronger perhaps if I had the courage, cannot be career-driven. Now, notice exactly what I'm saying there. Cannot, should not be career-driven. Driven is the word. That does not mean a Christian cannot have a career, okay? It doesn't mean that. That's stupid. It does not mean a Christian cannot work hard and wants to do well. You should work hard and want to do well. It does not mean a Christian cannot have a senior role in business of whatever line of work they are in. But they cannot be career-driven. They cannot make work their idol. Jesus will not have it. He will not have anything else other than him. That's why you need to take him with you to work. That's why he's your boss at work. He is every Christian's idol. Jesus is every Christian's career. Jesus is what drives every Christian. And if you think working as a minister in a church does not run the risk of idolatry, then think again. Who wants to be a conference speaker? Who wants to be a platform minister? Who wants their own channel on YouTube? Most of us. Most of us. Christian ministers, Christian accountants, Christian joiners, Christian bosses, Christian workers are called to faithfulness, not success, to service, to seek God's glory, not their material prosperity. And if you find yourself as the CEO of a company, that is not wrong. And I suspect, and I know lots of Christians, that they'll think, how on earth did I end up here? How on earth did I end up here? Having a career is not wrong. Being driven is wrong. And as a Christian church, when young people are at the first sort of 10 years of the working life, it's so busy. I met a fellow from church this morning. I was, in fact, I escaped for 20 minutes between the two morning services. Sometimes I need to do that. And I was walking back to the church and I bumped in and he said, I'm really sorry, I'm going to work. And I said, why are you sorry? Let me pray for you. And he was in yesterday, and he's in all day today, and he's in all day tomorrow. That's not unusual. My job, rightly, was to stand back. Because I know his heart, and work is not his idol. And it's foolish and naive for people like me to say, because he's in there today, that's his idol. I'm not sure he has any choice. And he was tired and weary and exhausted. And he said to me as he walked down the road, I just love to come to church. But I can't. So don't mishear this. How many have we got? Thirdly, nearly there. Christians need to be careful not to burn out. A Christian worker or a Christian boss is often the most zealous person at work is often a person who will not dump on their colleagues or would not dump on the people that work for them. Especially in a culture where around you there is self-interest, not sacrificial service. And add to that, 
Go back up the ladder in Ephesians. A Christian at work who is committed to doing things right in a culture that isn't comes home and is committed to being a good dad, a good wife, a good husband, a good parent. And that's before you get to serving in the church. Now, if it helps you, I've never found it easy to get this balance right. When I worked for Ernst & Young as an accountant, I worked harder than anyone else. I knew I was leaving, but I still did it. I'd like to think, well, why? Maybe I did work for personal advancement, though I didn't know I was leaving. Or teaching in university, or in London, as Minister of Chalmers, I've always worked flat out. That's wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. It is wrong. I'm not trying to justify it. It is wrong. With the right motivations, it's wrong. Christians need to be careful not to burn out. I need to be careful not to burn out. But Christians will flirt with that danger because they have a big job on their hands in this world, which is to burn for Jesus. But be careful. Maybe one of the prayers as we talk about this after church will be praying for time and rest for people. Why are you all nodding? Because you think I need it or you need it. Both of us. Both of us. All of us. Work is an opportunity to commend Christ. Hopefully, what we've heard tonight, not in a crass way, everything that Paul says in this section of Ephesians on the basic dynamics of marriage, the family, and the work. Marriage, family, work. Thinking like this in your marriages. Thinking like this in your families. Thinking like this when you go to work. When a whole church thinks like that, that church grows up into maturity, unity, and shines, sparkles. Sparkles. You'll bless people if you do this tomorrow. And they, God willing, will ask in time, what is the reason for the hope that lies within you? Why do you tick like that? Classic line at work. These guys over there, they're nutters. They're Christians, but they're great workers. They're great workers. Or he's a good boss. Just wish he wouldn't talk about the church. Work is an opportunity to commend Christ, but work can be very hard. It is fraught with dangers and difficulties, so we need to support one another. My job is to preach the Bible faithfully and to encourage and enable us all to support one another. I can't support you all. I can't. Sometimes ministers try out of zealousness. That's a good intention. But you just can't do it. Nor should you do it. You need to do some of it, of course. So I want to encourage you to have a real conversation about work this week with someone with another Christian. If there are people in the church family you know who are experiencing difficulties or pressures at work, speak with them. Speak truth in love. Encourage them in the Lord. Pray with them. And my hunch is that there will be many conversations. Tomorrow morning, all of us, working or not, happy or not at work, 
at work or not able to be at work for various reasons. Let's take time to pray for everyone in the church family who goes to work. Let's do that now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Bible's very practical teaching on marriage, on the family, and on work. Thank you that your word is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. It's not otherworldly. It's right there in the real world. Help us all to listen, all of us. Help us to listen in mind, at heart, and life. And for those, Lord, here or listening for whom work is extremely difficult, we pray that they would go to work tomorrow with Jesus Christ before their eyes and obey Him or lead like Him and make a difference. Help us to help each other. Help us to care for each other. And help us to keep going and keep on as Christians. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.